Kimberly Rice, and you are tuned into the Secret Sauce Marketing Tasting Show, the groundbreaking podcast for business bosses, professional women, and anyone who is hungry to learn how to create the career, business, and life of their dreams by charting their own course. So welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings podcast, an episodic conversation um, of KLA Marketing Associates. I'm Kimberly Rice, President and Chief Strategist of KLA Marketing, and I could not be more delighted to welcome our guest today, um, Nicole Auerbach. Is that how we pronounce it? Yes, that's right. Oh, wonderful. Um, So, Nicole, I'm so delighted. She hails from Chicago, um, I believe. Is that correct? Well, I actually hail from Maryland, just outside of D.C., but I've been living in Chicago for so long that I think I have to... I have to just say yes. I think most people would say not only do I hail, but I've been here long enough that I suppose I'm a true Midwesterner. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so we are so delighted to welcome Nicole today. And um, she has a very interesting story. I can't wait to share it with your uh, our reader. Or, I'm sorry, our listeners. Um, and so we're going to just jump right in, uh, Nicole. I'd love for you to share with our listeners a bit about yourself your professional passion, and a few insights into your professional journey. Sure. Thanks, Kimberly. I'm thrilled to be here. I I love the opportunity to speak with people um, about what I'm doing and about the legal industry, and I love the marketing aspect and all of the other things that go along with it, and so I'm really happy to be a part of this. Um, So to tell you about myself, I think... Um, it's funny since you asked where I hail from, you know, when, when I start and people say, you know, tell me about yourself. I, I often really start literally at the beginning and just tell people something that they don't know about me, which is I was born on my parents' bed in the house that, um, that I grew up in, in Maryland, because, um, I always say that I was too impatient to wait for the ambulance to come and take me to the hospital, much to my parents' chagrin. Um, and that has sort of defined me, I think, from the beginning of my life. It's in that I'm, a, I'm not a terribly patient person, although it's something I've worked on forever um, and getting much better in my old age. Um, but I think that also I just had a lot of stuff that I wanted to accomplish. And so that has kind of defined a little bit more my professional career. Um, but, you know, in terms of my legal career, I, I went to law school in Chicago and I came out and worked in a large law firm in Chicago for 15 years. I was a partner in the litigation department um, and it was a really great background and really great way to learn the trade and also learn how business works from that standpoint with sophisticated clients and and large cases um, and working with with you know enormous number uh, an enormous number of really talented people both in the firm and also opposing counsel and people that you interacted with 
Um, but in 2008, I really felt that the industry was missing a huge opportunity for customers um, in terms of the options for billing arrangements. And I joined forces with a few other people who felt strongly about wanting to bring about um, an option for clients. And we formed a firm called Valorum Law Group. Um, which has been in effect for almost 11 years. And we brought the um, alternative fee arrangements, we brought that to the market, particularly for sophisticated litigation. Um, and that wasn't enough for us in terms of trying to be disruptors of the legal industry. And so a year ago, one of my founding partners in Valorum and I formed a firm called Elevate Next Law. And that firm is a new model law firm that has joined forces with a law company uh, called Elevate Services. And together, Elevate Next and Elevate Services really handle pretty much any, any legal issue, any, um, any um, solution that a customer would want that touches upon something going on in the legal industry. So our clients are both law departments as well as law firms um, and addressing all sorts of legal issues on the Elevate side with technology, consulting, legal operations, staffing, um, full service in terms of, of uh, what they can provide. And then the Elevate Next provides the practice of law aspect. So it's been a very exciting career um, and looking forward to what the next few years bring. Awesome. Um, so I know, having been in legal services for <clears throat> a very long time, that the billable hour has always been a thorn in the side for clients. And, yes. it, seemed, and it seems like, <clears throat> um, in fact, I know it is, after the Great Recession, um, it looked like a, a switch had flipped that they were really pushing back. <laughs> right. Um, because they realized finally that they were really in the buyer's driver's seat, if, as it were, um, as far as how they controlled their legal spend. So I'm just curious when you um, founded or co founded Valorum and you came out with these alternative fee arrangements um, and you brought it to the market, how was it received from these large firms that you were working with? Um, well, so do you mean from the from the client perspective, from large companies, yeah, or do you mean okay, yeah, yeah. So, so the interesting thing, which I've come to learn possibly the hard way, um, is that while you often think of lawyers as really, you know, they're the ones who change the laws, and so therefore lawyers are very um, amenable to change. The truth is that it's actually not quite that way in practice. So when we formed Valorum Law Group, actually, we got a lot, a lot of interest from people at the highest levels of large companies, general counsels, who were very interested in what the options are. Um, but I would say that there is a fair amount of risk aversion um, that went along with it. And so while there was a lot of interest in finding out how this alternative fee thing would work, it took very innovative um, clients to really be the first to dip their, their toe in the water. 
And so what I would say is what I expected to be a lot quicker of an adoption in the industry as a whole has taken a lot slower than I would have predicted. And, and from the point of a GC who is now on the hook for their legal spend budget, what was some of their hesitancy to the change? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and so it's, it's really easy to pinpoint all of this, you know, 10 years hindsight. But what I would say that we have come to conclude is that in the beginning, and, and luckily things have changed, but in the beginning, um, it, it's, a, it's an entirely different mind shift mm -hmm. to get your arms around alternative fees in the sense that unlike, you know, let's just talk about litigation to start with. Unlike most pieces of litigation, a, you know, a GC in a large company who gets a, a piece of litigation didn't really have to spend a whole lot of time thinking about, you know, what does this case mean and how are we going to handle it and what are our goals? It really was just usually handed off to an associate GC who then would reach out to their typical firm and say, hey, we got sued in so-and-so state and I'm sending you the complaint. And that would be it. And then everybody would kind of have this understanding as to what would happen next, which is usually, you know, that firm would be off to the races doing the typical things you would do in a piece of litigation without really thinking through much more about the strategy. For alternative fees to work, first of all, our firm has has always said from the beginning that for it to work for us and our clients, we always had some sort of bonus or holdback amount that was tied to the to the actual outcome of the case so that our clients always knew that our goals were aligned with theirs because a sizable amount of the fee would be would be tied up in, in whether we achieved the goals. Right. Um, and so as a result, we had to vet, vet the cases a lot more. And we also, in order to give an appropriate alternative fee, it's really necessary to have a sit down with your client and talk about what are the goals and, um, you know, what does this case mean? So what it really meant was it required more time for the client at the front end yeah. than they were used to giving. And then they also always wondered, am I getting the short end of this deal? In other words, I think in the back of their minds, there was always this feeling of what's the catch? You know, how am I losing out here? Would I be better off with an alternative fee? And so it just, it took, it took clients a long time, a long time to sort of feel comfortable with a little bit of the mind shift in terms of how you would approach a case using an AFA. And now, and now, luckily, you know, when you look back over 10 years, even if progress is slow, there still can be some very dynamic progress. And I think um, just by judging from the fact that pretty much any law firm in America, if you looked on their website or talked to some of the lawyers, they would tell you that they use alternative fees. It has been much more widely adopted now, you know, certainly than it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. it, it is still quite inferior in terms of the amount um, that it's, that, you know, alternative fees are used compared to the billable hour. But what we're finding is more and more companies are demanding that their law firms and their lawyers go to this model. 
at least for um, a large amount of their cases. And so people are starting to become more comfortable with the use of AFAs, although I will tell you that AFAs are simply one tool to achieving you know, cost savings and cost efficiency across the board. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that it's moving forward um, and that more firms are um, more receptive um, because I know when I was working in-house and working on RFPs consistently, um, they um, that whole billing structure, fee structure piece of it was always a pickle um, to bring yep. into alignment with client expectations and you know what they were really willing um, to consider um, a, an ongoing relationship. And so, uh, goodness my, you know, the legal services, I, I've yet to have a real good explanation or to hear a real good explanation as to why as a business slash profession legal services is so um, slow to move forward with progress and change I mean I know the risk aversion part of it I guess you get that in law school I don't know but it, it just doesn't make sense in corporate America yeah that's absolutely correct and so but um that's fascinating. So I have to ask for the lawyer um, guests that we have on, why law? Why did you choose a career in law? Um, so interestingly, I had a degree in journalism when I came out of undergraduate. I went to University of Wisconsin in Madison. Um, and I loved, I loved writing and things like that. I, I chose to pursue a job in public relations in Chicago after I graduated. And in doing that, it was something I actually really loved, but what I found that I had the most interest in was crisis PR. Oh. So if one of my clients was facing a crisis, that was the part that I really felt like, okay, you know, this is the most interesting aspect of it. And I had always thought that I, I would, you know, at one point that I had an interest in law, but I didn't want to rush straight from undergraduate. But once I was doing public relations and I really saw myself gravitating to that aspect, I thought, you know what, I should, I should do it. And so I, I went to law school and I think I'm one of those few people who I loved, I loved law school. I really was sad when it was over because there were so many more classes that I wanted to take. Um, I, I didn't like the work, but I really, you know, once I got past the prerequisites that I didn't really want to take, um, like property, sorry, Professor Siegel, but uh, that was torture. Um, but once I got to select what I was interested in, I was really interested in learning about that area of the law. Um, and so, you know, most people say, oh, I went to make change and um, you know, to pursue justice. And, and I, and I did that and I, I felt that, and I've been lucky enough in my career to be able to pursue that passion while I have my regular, um, you know, sort of commercial career. But for me, it was really that I love to be able to, um, advocate for a client, but also, um, help parties get to a resolution that accomplishes a number of different things, which is usually, you know, that not only there is a resolution of sorts, but that they keep in mind their reputations and the other business issues that go alongside with that. So for me, it was kind of a combination of the PR background, 
um, as well as the interest in law. Gotcha. So yep. it's a wonderful combination. <clears throat> it's a wonderful combination because in the in the liberal arts of the journalism and PR, I mean, that was a lot of my educational background. You know, there's so much writing and you have to learn to adapt the style to the audience, whether it's journalism or PR or <clears throat> whatever. So it's a really uh, nice precursor to um, what's going to be a lifelong career of writing and speaking. Exactly. So, exactly. Uh, my, my, my stepdaughter actually has taken that same path. Um, oh, great. With, yeah, she was just graduated, and well, she actually just started her first full-time, um, full-time legal job um, just a couple of weeks ago. So I'm interested. I mean, so um, it's it's interesting for me to see her path unfold. <clears throat> so um, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So describe to our lead, uh, our listeners, Nicole, if you would, what <clears throat> drives you as a serial entrepreneur. Um, and several lessons you've long learned along the way, because, you know, you mentioned Elevate Next and Valorum. I mean, these are two separate companies that I, you know, want curious what your involvement in both, but that's no small feat for anybody. Yeah. Um, so it's not, I always had this entrepreneurial bend and when you're in a large law firm, while there's, you know, some ability to flex that muscle, it, it, it largely is, remains unflexed. Um, and so when I started Valorum, what I realized is that I have this, I just hate inefficiency um, you know, I'm the type of person who's constantly complaining about the way that they board planes because I find it to be the most inefficient process whatsoever. And I'm always like, gosh, you know, if the door was in the middle, this would be so much easier or, yeah. you know, all of those things. And so that was the same when I was in my practice in a large firm, it really infuriated me that because of the billable hour model, you know, if you are creative, if you are efficient, if you figure out how to get the outcome that your client wants and maintain the high quality standards that you've, you know, lived up to, but you get to that outcome sooner, you're less valuable to the firm because you've generated less hours and therefore less revenue in order to accomplish the goal that your client wanted. To me, that is the most contradictory thing ever. And I just really couldn't bear it any longer. And so the idea of forming a firm in order to kind of, you know, provide a whole new alternative that just simply didn't exist in 2008 was really enticing to me. Um, and I didn't, didn't even realize how enticing it was until we were in the throes of it. There's just this huge, um, excitement around building something new, you know, trying to break down old barriers, trying to to shift mindsets, um, and really providing something that we think is of value to the industry. That's so awesome. that was sort of that was the first thing with Valorum, and then with Elevate Next, you know, there's a there are a lot of lessons learned after ten years of of you know being I think what what most people refer to as a disruptor in the industry and um, and my partner, Pat Lamb and I, you know, kind of remembering what it was like and the excitement of all, of all that, we also saw that the legal industry was starting to be more receptive to change. There's just so much that's going on in the industry right now, so many tech companies and so many 
you know, alternative service providers, if you will. And we really felt that there might be an opportunity to do this one more time in an effective way. Um, and and we were we were very excited to do that. And so for for the Elevate Next aspect, you know, it's really our belief based on what we're seeing in the industry that law companies like Elevate Services, United Lex, other big companies that do a great deal in the legal department or for law firms, that they're really taking a a huge chunk of the business that traditionally went to outside law firms or traditionally stayed in-house and that it's this huge market that's opening up and will continue to open up and we wanted to be a part of it sure. and as a as a traditional law firm that doesn't usually happen unless you can think of a new model and and you know for us that model was partnering with one of these law companies um, to provide something that also doesn't currently exist and that's their ability to practice law through their affiliation with with us so it was just another opportunity to you know um, make the legal industry more efficient and to provide a service and a value to customers and clients that we didn't that we didn't think existed that's fabulous fabulous so <clears throat> how has that been personally um, you know uh, rewarding gratifying to know that you're on the front end of driving change in your space it's incredibly rewarding and it, it sometimes takes years before you see the fruits of that of that labor so for example when i um, told my firm that i was leaving to start a new firm based on alternative fees in 2008 I had a number of people, including the managing partners of some of the offices, call me and tell me I'm insane and no one's ever going to talk about alternative fee arrangements. And so, you know, but when you start something new, you're you're not sure, is this going to take off or is it not? And then, you know, years later, it's very nice to get the type of awards in the industry that indicate that the leap of faith you took was actually was actually a good one. Um, but just from a pure personal standpoint, because it's not based on awards that you get, it's not based on, you know, the money that, that you may get if you're successful in building a business. For me, it's really personally exciting and gratifying to build a team um, of people who feel the same way and who just get a charge out of what they're trying to do. And we have an amazing, amazing team at Elevate Next, as we did and do at Valorum. Um, and it also, I really get excited about being exposed to new people and new um, situations that are, you know, in the beginning outside of my comfort zone. And so our affiliation with Elevate has given us access to a, a company that has 1,200 global employees. And I am lucky enough to interact with people on various continents and people doing all different things with all different skill sets and and you know in all different time zones and that's just something i didn't have the ability to do with a relatively small law firm in chicago so that has just broadened my horizons and whenever whenever you meet a number of diverse people i think just from a personal standpoint you benefit absolutely so i have that is phenomenal um that is so phenomenal and it's just so exciting to hear you know, that you had this drive, 
um, you adapted it to um, in-house law firms, and then you saw opportunity, you continued to stay true in your integrity for what you find rewarding and how to use those skill sets that you had de developed under the tutelage of, I'm sure, some great mentors or some um, great leaders in your firm that you left um, that had, you know, kind of shown you the ropes and helped you hone your craft. And now look, you know, now look what you've done, right? <laughs> I mean, I think it's a wonderful model, particularly for women, um, because we don't always have mentors and models um, given in, you know, male-dominated firms and male-dominated male dominated professions. So I guess my next question, Nicole, would be as a woman, as a woman business owner, um, how do you approach business development um, for these two entities? Yeah, that's a good question and something that I've thought about a lot. So I'm really passionate about women's issues and, um, and we Elevate Next Just actually got certified in, in the last few weeks as a woman a majority woman-owned business, um, and and yeah, that's been great, and and it's it's personally gratifying as well, just because I've put so much time and effort into into what we've built over over the past years. Um, I think women develop business very differently than men, and I think that the reason for that has been in large part because in male-dominated industries, at least when I was growing up in a large law firm, not overtly, but often the, um, the informal opportunities, like simply, you know, playing golf and, and chatting or building relationships by just spending time with people were often um, opportunities that women didn't have simply because they didn't find themselves in, in that environment or being invited into that environment that often. Or, you know, a, a male partner would just more naturally bring on a male associate um, or bring them to lunch with a client, et cetera. And as a result, I think business development opportunities organically came from those relationships and women weren't as often, um, you know, having a proverbial seat at the table. I, I happen to think, and when I look at my client roster, it is really not because I have aimed my marketing at women, but I find that the best way to develop business is by um, being genuine as to who you are and um, having deeper relationships with people. And often that happens with women. Uh, and so as it turns out, some of my best clients are really, really amazing women who often I started with when we were really both very young in the industry. They were maybe in their first in-house job, and I did a little bit of work maybe as an associate. And then over time, we just developed a relationship, a personal relationship that also allowed us to grow together professionally. Mm -hmm. um, so when, but having said that, I mean, I market to a lot of men. I do a lot of pitches. I do work for a lot of um, men. And, um, and I think, you know, my approach is really just um, showcasing what it is that we can do. I, I have no concerns about the quality of our work and our ability to achieve really amazing things. So my philosophy has always been, if we can just get our foot in the door, then, then, you know, we're, then everything's great. And, and that's sort of the philosophy that I have projected in terms of, of my marketing efforts as well.
Um, so, so I try to just showcase what we're doing and why we think that's different and why we think we could help. And where we don't think we can help, we're very upfront about that. I don't like to take on matters that aren't in our sweet spot, or I don't like to take things on simply because we want the name, you know, that that client or, you know, that business. I've always, always thought that if we do what we do and we do it really well, then clients will come back to us. And that has proven the case over time. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's such a wonderful testimonial of how to develop a prosperous business is, um, you know, it's a, it's a great, great uh, role model for so many women coming behind you or in men for that matter. But, you know, women, we just need that, that we just need to open the fields and lift as we climb. And, and clearly that That's right. you built your reputation and your profession on that. Thank you. And I, and I, the most amazing thing is just seeing how many women are now finally getting into the roles where they have the ability to give out business. Cause that's a huge, you know, that's a huge part of it. So that's very exciting to watch. Yes. yes. Um, so <clears throat> with all of that, all the accomplishment, all the mentoring, all of the alignment with women clients um, and, you know, forward facing um, of business development, you know, you've, you've done and accomplished so much. Um, and I'm just curious, at, at this point in your career, what does success look like for you? <laughs> well, I'm standing in a really cool office that took me a really long time to get. And it's cool only because um, it's, it's filled with like, you know, it's got a brick wall and high ceilings and a big oversized orange chair and fun pillows that say she believes she could, so she did, and things like that. <laughs> um, so success for me actually is really, you know, it used to be measured in like how much money did you make and all those things that you wanted to attain. And what I've, what I've learned in, in what I call my old age, which I, I hope I'm not overly dating myself because I still have many years to work in this profession, but, um, you know, success for me is really just as, as you said before, you know, feeling like I have contributed to the legal industry, that I have, you know, brought together a good team and that people look forward to coming to work and they're excited about what we're doing. You know, for me, just feeling fulfilled and feeling like I've, you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm meeting new people and challenging, you know, the parameters that I feel used to constrain me, you know, getting introduced to new people or traveling to new places or taking on a new matter that's in an area that I previously didn't have experience in, all of that is success to me. Yes. So I think at the end of the day, I'd have to just say that it's autonomy, you know, it's the ability and, and you know, really the blessing and the luck and the, I don't know, fortitude, I think, to be at a place where I have some ability to dictate you know, what I'm taking on and, and how my day-to-day -day life is, is um, unfolding. Wonderful. Well, that is uh, certainly worthwhile and enviable goals to attain uh, because I know from, from one, my world too, I was in-house for many years before starting my firm, that autonomy, flexibility, and freedom doesn't just happen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we have to. Right, and I've been, it. yeah, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say we have to drive those that drive that train right to where we want it to go if we want to accomplish that and 
you know, all the while doing it, you know, as they say, um, in backwards in high heels uh, of delivering <laughs> clients, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, people always say that women are very, you know, instead of simply taking a compliment, they're often the one saying, well, it's, you know, it's my team. And, and instead, you know, saying, oh, well, I was lucky. And so I did use the word luck. And then I, I sort of, you know, chided myself. But I think it's a, I think it's a combination of all of those. And yes, we have to be the ones to drive it. But you can never do it if you don't have a, a really amazing team around you. And I do think a little bit of luck is always, is always, you know, helpful. <laughs> the convergence, the convergence of opportunity yeah. and preparation. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, this has been fascinating. I, just, I have one more question, which is a little bit of a philosophical question that we uh -huh. always love to ask our guest. you know, so no more on the legal, but um, um, just from the, the mindset of if you could give your younger self one piece of professional advice, what would that be? Go for it. <laughs> yeah, it would be go for it. I mean, I think, you know, I stayed in my large firm for 15 years. And as I said, you know, it was a really, really great environment. It, I learned a lot. But, but part of me wonders if that was just fear, you know, if it was that, you know, if you get into a very comfortable situation, you have a really nice salary that you can depend on, you you know the routine, you know the people that you're working with, you generally know what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis, and it's very easy to feel comfortable in that. And I remember when I was contemplating starting Valorum Law Group, I was the sole woman of four founding partners, and I was the last to agree to come on. And I'm I'm pretty sure that was because I was, you know, either afraid or I just felt like, oh gosh, what, why do I want to risk this really solid place and solid position? And then once I took that leap of faith, I never looked back and I was like, why did I wait this long? Only because it was so fulfilling. Um, so I would tell myself, go for it, um, maybe a little bit earlier than I did, though as I said, I have no regrets as to the way that my career has played out. Wonderful. Well, Nicole, thank you so much. We certainly appreciate it. This has been a fascinating conversation. Um, you know, I love to talk with women who have, you know, had the vision, they found the fortitude, um, they had the courage to step out of their comfort zone, and that really drove them um, to create the career of their dreams. And that's what we're, I'm all about helping women to do um, by charting their own course, um, because it certainly doesn't happen um, automatically. So thank you very much, uh, Nicole. And we thank you to our listeners for another episode of Secret Sauce Marketing Tastings. And we will see you on the airwaves next time. <laughs>